if you are a casual college basketball fan, you would have deemed that matchup in 2008 between UCLA and Western Kentucky in the Sweet 16 as an all-out a bloodbath. That's how you would have thought the game would have transpired. UCLA is just going to dismantle this Hilltoppers team that was just lucky, you thought, to be in the Sweet 16 as they were a 12th seed in this tournament. But if you actually know what you're talking about, you're not necessarily a know-it-all. You are more of an educated college basketball fan. Some would say a diehard. You are not a prisoner to the box scores. You would have had a little bit more unease going into this one based upon how UCLA, while being a number one seed in this tournament, how they had played in their game prior. So maybe a win against the Hilltoppers was not so forthright and so one-sided as so many thought. And on this episode of Lockdown Bruins, our Bruin Basketball Nostalgia Tour takes us back to that 2008 tilt between the Hilltoppers and the Bruins in the Sweet 16, a game that got a lot closer than a whole lot of people thought. That's unless you know what you're talking about or you had followed UCLA. But we'll go beyond the game. We'll look at how the game influenced the Bruins throughout the rest of the season. How about the legacy that this team leaves behind? And I'm going to go out on a whim here. And I'm going to say that the 2007-2008 Bruins basketball team that was part of that season was the most talented Bruin team in the 21st century. And it's not even close. It is not even close. And if you have an issue with what I'm saying and you think that I'm completely off base and wrong, I'd love to hear from you. Let's spark up a debate and conversation. My email is lockedonbruins at gmail.com. Also, you can tweet at me. My Twitter handle is at Brian Fenley, Brian with a Y, F-E-N-L-E-Y. So here's the deal as we continue the conversation here. And that is, think of this as a story time. Like when you were in elementary school and the teacher said, all right, everybody, get on the rug and I'm going to pull out a book and it's going to be time for us to all sit around me, a big picture book, and entertain. And that's what we're going to do here as the nostalgia tour continues. But before we get into the game itself between UCLA and Western Kentucky, I want to start with the background of this contest, the lead-up to this game, if you will, and to give you more of a deeper look at each one of these ball clubs. For example, UCLA, a team, had a 12-game winning streak coming into this game, that they had only three losses on the year. They had a two-point defeat against Texas. They lost by nine to USC, although that game was eventually vacated because you remember that guy named O.J. Mayo? Yeah, he had some shenanigans take place as far as benefits are concerned, and so that win for USC was vacated. Then you had the 10-point defeat for UCLA to Washington. So three losses in total on the season, and the Bruins had beaten Stanford in the Pac-10 tournament in the championship game by three points. But here's where Bruin fans were a little bit less optimistic about their ability to advance and go deep into this tournament. It was the effort and the performance they put on against Texas A&M in the round of 32, where they held on, did UCLA by two points. 
And if it weren't for a Darren Collison layup with about 9.5 seconds left, we might have seen the Bruins get bounced early. They might have lost to this Aggies team because UCLA was down 10 in the second half. And Josh Shipp and Russell Westbrook combined in this game to go 3 of 14. Kevin Love did have seven blocks in this game. But afterwards, after sneaking by the Aggies, Love told reporters, quote, unacceptable, unacceptable, unacceptable. That is all I can say. It was unacceptable the way we played in the second half. If we're going to keep playing like that, we're not going to be in this tournament very long. End quote. That was love after holding on against Texas A&M in a game that could have gone either way. So love understands that, and I think a lot of the Bruin fan base saw a team that was so talented was having a hard time getting through the early rounds of the NCAA tournament, and that brought a level of concern heading into this one against Western Kentucky, a team that was coached by Darren Horn, and this was a, a special game for him, had certain personal significance, because the last time that Western Kentucky had made the Sweet 16, he was the starting guard, and that was in 1993. For the Hilltoppers to get into this Sweet 16 game this time around, they needed a buzzer beater in the opening round with Ty Rogers knocking at a 26-footer to unseat and surprise number five, Drake 101-99. The Hilltoppers then went on to topple the University of San Diego, 72-63. to Courtney Lee, you remember him. He's still in the NBA. He had 29 points in that round of 32 win against the Toreros. And look, you could not call this Western Kentucky team a slouch. They went on the road in the regular season, played in Ann Arbor, and beat Michigan 73-69. to And that Courtney Lee I was talking about, what a player he has turned out to be in the NBA and certainly showed all the makings of one who could be that in college. He, that year, was the Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year, was averaging over 20 points per game, led the team in scoring, 50% almost field goal shooting, 40% from beyond the arc. He was 83% from the free throw line. But it was more than him that concerned UCLA head coach Ben Hallen as he was going into this game in the Sweet 16. He called Western Kentucky's point guard Tyrone Brazelton the quickest guard the Bruins have faced all season. And what the Bruins did face from this WKU team was one where they love to pressure you. They love to double you. They love to trap you. And they have a penchant for getting turnovers galore against their opponents. And the Bruins did cough up 19 turnovers in this game. But thankfully, as a, a Bruin community here, we're not here talking about a UCLA loss because that would have been a really hard one to stomach given, like I said, how much talent on that Bruin team. If you think about it, I mean, Kevin Love, obviously, Russell Westbrook, still in the NBA and thriving, some of the best in the NBA right now. You also had Luke Richard Mbamute, who's had a long career in the league. And you also can't forget about Darren Collison, who has retired, but there was some speculation that he might come back. You remember at the right before the All-Star break in the NBA, he was thinking about 
maybe joining forces with the Lakers or the Clippers, but he's had a great career in the NBA himself. So a whole lot of talent on that team certainly was a foreshadowing of what to come. But what I think a lot of people did not see happen in this game was somebody who was not even really uh, supposed to play this season. Adam Keefe, the sophomore, he had a, a shoulder injury that caused the coaching staff at UCLA almost to redshirt him this season. And I think you would be safe to say that they are very grateful they did not because of what he did on the court against WKU as they started to dig into that deficit in the second half. It was Keefe, the savior. And we'll look back and relive the game from start to finish right after this. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. For those who estimated this Bruin-Hilltopper game and the Sweet 16 in 2008 would be one-sided and an onslaught in favor of UCLA, you were looking like a fortune teller. You were looking like somebody who could predict the future because that is the way the game started to unfold. It was UCLA up at the half. By 21, it was, let's feed the ball inside to Kevin Love. Let's get James Keefe in as well, involved offensively in the paint. Those two guys were superior. And it was the, the deep post touches inside for Love. And the WKU Hilltoppers had no one that could put a body on those guys inside. And like I said, the Bruins were up by 21 at the half. A lot of turnovers in the early stages for the Hilltoppers. Four turnovers for them in the first three minutes. They ended up in the first half shooting 18%. They had more turnovers, nine, than field goals made, and they had six made field goals in the first 20 minutes of this game. They did have a guy, Boris Siakam, and if that last name sounds familiar, yes, he is the older brother of the now NBA superstar Pascal Siakam, who is with the Toronto Raptors. The Bruins had a 23-4 run in the first half. There was about two minutes left in the opening period, and UCLA was absolutely in forcing their will in the paint with a 24-2 advantage when it came to scoring points in the paint. Love had 15 points. And Keefe coming on as a reserve, seven points in 10 minutes of work. But what he did in the second half was even better. And Ben Hallen said that that first half defensively was some of the best. He said it was incredible. And the Bruins held the Hilltoppers in that first half to a scoring drought of over eight minutes, excuse me, with a drought without a field goal. 
in eight minutes. Let's fast forward now to the second half. And now UCLA is starting to see their lead crumble. A couple different alibis for why that is happening. First of all, the foul trouble. Early second half, Josh Ship picks up his third foul, so he goes out. Then we see Darren Collison get in foul trouble. He picks up his fourth foul, would end up fouling out with over five minutes in the game. And the lead started to continue to shrink. The only thing that really did help UCLA stem the onslaught on the WKU side for a while was Keefe. He was sensational. There was a great play where you had... A Bruin driving in transition, missing, and then Keefe with the follow-up jam. But Westbrook also had himself with four fouls with 10 minutes left. And so you had Ship, you had Westbrook, and Collison all in foul trouble. Collison would later foul out for the first time that season with 539 to play and had only four points and four turnovers. But to say that it was a suboptimal performance on his part, yes, on the offensive end, but not on the defensive end, because he forced Tyron Brazelton into five first-half turnovers and then did wonders defensively against Courtney Lee, who went in that first half 2 of 13. He had some air balls. He was just completely off with his game. Now, we continue to press on in this second half, and what was once a double-digit lead... 21 points is now down to six, thanks to Tyrone Brazelton, who had an, a string of scoring eight straight points for his team, made a couple threes, and then he absolutely, on a clear out, blitzed right by Collison to get to the cup. It's a four-point game. Four-point game, and then a chance to make it a one-point game when A.J. Slaughter had an open wing three. Would have cut it to one. He misses. That does not go down. Then you have the Bruins getting it, and James Keefe gets fouled off the miss. He goes to the line, and then Josh Ship, who had been atrocious from three-point line the last three games, and one of the big narratives of him is like, where is this guy in this tournament? I mean, he was basically futile in the first couple of games of, of the NCAA tournament. He nails this end-of-the-shot clock line drive three that basically sealed it with uh, under five minutes to go. Made it 68-59 to 59 UCLA. And he admitted, yeah, it's been a, touch, a tough stretch for him scoring. And he did finish with 14 points, and he called himself leading into that shot, quote, as cold as you can get, end quote. And he had missed 11 straight three-pointers before this game and finally hit a couple in very critical moments. Now, we can't say enough, though. Obviously, Kevin Love was a stud, 29 points. But I don't think we're giving James Keefe enough credit here. I think James Keefe won the game for UCLA. And as I said, this was a guy who was not necessarily 
build to play this year because he had dealt with a shoulder surgery and the staff had pondered whether or not to maybe sit him out this season and redshirt him. He goes in here and just absolutely thrills blocking and scoring you that clean block of Courtney Lee on the drive. Second half with a beautiful bounce pass to Luke Richard and Bamute, who was cutting to the basket in transition. Keith running the floor nicely, had the putback slam after a miss from UCLA in transition. So these were all great things, and Keith finished with 18 points, and he made his first six shots. And that high-low game between Keith and Love was just too much. They were towering over the opposition and the bigs inside for WKU, and UCLA ends up halting any momentum on the WKU side and getting the job done. I mean, you have basically Coach Horn saying after the game that once Josh Ship made that line drive three, he thought the game was over, and it certainly never got much closer from there. Coming up on the other side, how the Bruins would finish the rest of the year, how we envision our perception of this team even though it fell short, did not win at all. So the Bruins would end up beating Western Kentucky by 10 points. Then UCLA would get by Xavier in the Elite Eight, but then UCLA would fall short in the Final Four to Florida. And my question now that I want to raise out to you, the listener here on Locked on Bruins, and I'm your host, Brian Fenley, is what kind of legacy do you believe this Bruin basketball team deserves that in your heart they should receive? Because if you're asking me, what's hard to stomach is a team with so much talent. Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook, Luke Richard, Mbamute, Darren Collison, all of those guys have had long NBA careers. There was, I think, this narrative that was attached to that group and continues to be that they were underperforming in their expectations. And I think of all the three Final Four, consecutive Final Four trips under Ben Howland's watch, this one was the most painful because of that. You had so much high-caliber play on that roster, and to only get to the Final Four was disconcerting. If you thought the Bruins were going to make the Final Four in that 2006 year, UCLA coaches have told media that, yeah, right, we did not expect that to happen. So that first Final Four amongst the three in the trio of consecutive Final Four bursts was deemed as one that exceeded expectations that season and what they were able to accomplish. But this one, building off two Final Fours, getting Kevin Love on your roster and not being able to seal it and win it all was very disappointing. However, we can't at the same time discredit the season that was in how many wins the Bruins accrued, having Kevin Love on our team, and getting to a third Final Four. So I don't want to poo-poo it too much, but I want to be frank with you and tell you 
personally, that's the Final Four berth that hurts the most because I thought more than any of the others, we had more than enough talent that time around to get the job done, but we fell short. And I just knew in the back of my head, and I'm probably sure you are thinking this as well, you thought, okay, we have a really short window here this season because if we don't get it done this season, chances are Kevin Love is not going to stay stay around because he's going to want to go to the NBA. Chances are Russell Westbrook will do the same. And so it's either now or never. And as much as this team accomplished, we a lot of times will think about what they did not accomplish, which I don't know. I think that's a little bit harsh, but the reality of it is, is it's a team that had talent galore and was not able to see it all the way through to a national championship. But still, so much to appreciate and praise that team for what they did. That's going to do it for this episode of Locked on Bruins. Tomorrow on the program, he is the newest signed recruit for McCronin, Dacian Nix. You're going to hear tomorrow all about his game, his flair, his background, and what's going to make him, I believe, even better the impact as a passer than Lonzo Ball his freshman year at UCLA. This has been Locked on Bruins. I'm Brian Fenley.